Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. All right, church, how are we doing this morning? Yes. We have the splash zone right here, ready for this 90-degree fall day in California. Um, Hey, we're in a vision series, so if you're new with us, you're kind of jumping in where we are defining who we are as a church and who we want to be. So the last three weeks we've been talking about this. We want to be a church empowered by the Holy Spirit. We want to live the way of Jesus. Um, And over this the last couple of weeks, we've been recognizing that right now in this current cultural moment, it's very easy to criticize the church that we are witnessing around the world. It's very easy to, to pick at her, to blame her, to talk about all the institutional injustices we've seen throughout the last few thousand years, all the moral failures that are happening in the church, the space that's designed to be holy and sacred and set apart, yet it has done a terrible job of reflecting to the world the real image of Jesus. And so what we talked about last week is something that we're trying to do here in this middle school and these house churches in Southern California. We are trying to build the alternative. I've heard it said that the best critique of the bad is the practice of the good. And so our task as the body, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is to build something better. Rather than focus on all the wrongs, let us build something that's worthy of showing the world what Jesus is really like. Let's point to this community as as exhibit A of what's possible when broken people come together, laying down their lives in humility and say, there's got to be more. God, help us. And we love one another and serve each other in the name of Jesus. So this series, we're talking about the things that matter most to us. So we have this um, phrase that we've been using. It's, we are one family living the way of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, bringing life wherever we go. So Garden Church, we are here to bring life. This is why we are here, to bring life. Jesus says in the book of John, if you have a Bible, go to John chapter 10. If you're new to church, don't worry. You don't have to pull out the Bible and act like you know what's going on. I'm going to put the the Bible passages on the screen for you. If you'd like to read the Bible, you can download free apps. Just Google or go onto your app store and download a Bible. But this comes from the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is written by a guy named John. And this is the story of Jesus. And he gives us... In Jesus' words, Jesus' purpose for why he came. And this is one of those statements. It says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus comes to bring life, real life. And the word for in the Greek for life is a Abundant life, Zoe. It's this full, rich, eternal life. This life, it's not someplace else. The image that we often think about is that Christianity is all about getting people to believe something, pray a prayer, and so that one day they go to heaven when they die. That's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is that he comes to bring abundance, overflowing life here and now. And we know. The first part of his statement that there's a devil, there's Satan, there's this enemy who's coming trying to steal, destroy, and kill God's way of life. 
we look out into the world and we see it, don't, don't we? I mean, it's not hard to see that the world is suffering. In this moment, our world is marked by death and disease, COVID-19. We're all wearing masks inside. This is not how it's designed to be. Can I get an amen? amen. This is all the effects of what happened a long time ago. And if you're new to the church or to the story of scripture, what you have to understand is we know how this started. And what I mean by this, I mean the the bad stuff, disease, depression, anxiety, fear, brokenness, war, famine, poverty, broken relationships, suicide, all of these things that are the effects of brokenness in the world that we witness This is not the way God intended it to be. That's why Jesus comes and says, no, 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 I come to bring real life. And he's coming to give us something else that we haven't fully experienced. And we know this because we are a testimony to the brokenness of this world. In each of your life, there is trauma and pain and suffering and unforgiveness and anger and doubt and fear and all sorts of stuff, junk, And Jesus wants to come and meet you where you are and deal with the real pain that you have. He's not trying to cookie coat it, dunk you in some water once and for all so you can go on living your life. No, he wants to transform your life where the fruit of your existence is peace and joy and gentleness, self-control, goodness, kindness, love. Could you imagine if people were hanging out with this community and they felt peace about circumstances that they didn't have control over, they felt a sense of love and acceptance despite their beliefs being completely different than yours, rather than judgment and anti-everything. That's what Jesus is. That that is what we mean by bringing life. Now, I'm going to get to my sermon in just a second, but what we have to understand is the Bible paints a picture of how we got here with all of the brokenness. You see, if you you read the Bible, you go to the beginning. In Genesis, it's the very first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we are here not by some random chance cosmic miracle of a big bang moment. We are here because the creator of the universe decided he wanted to live in loving relationship with other beings. And he created humans. He created all of creation. And he created us, all of creation, to live in loving relationship with him. And through that loving relationship, everything else would work in the world we would have right relationship with each other. Could you imagine that? Imagine having the kind of dynamic relationship with your in-laws. Mine are all here. I love you guys. Imagine the, the, where there's the, there would be less strife in relationships. You see, we're designed to live in harmony with ourselves, with each other, and with God. This is the Genesis 1 and 2 story of how we got here. And the word the Bible uses to describe that is this word shalom, which is a Hebrew word for wholeness, everything working the way it was supposed to be. But in Genesis chapter three, something happened to creation. We were given the freedom to choose to live in loving relationship with God or to do our own thing. And guess what we did? We did our own thing. And as soon as that happened, 
sin enters into the story, and sin is the vandalization of shalom. Everything begins to go sideways very, very fast. And so, from Genesis chapter 3 on, we are given a glimpse into God's heart and desire. If you were to look at the summary of the scripture, what you have in this Bible from the beginning to the end is what we call God's mission for creation. Mission. God's loving mission. Where from Genesis 3 on, we see God's heart for creation and for humanity put on display. His mission, his loving mission, is to reconcile, restore, and redeem all of creation back to himself to bring creation back to the way it was intended to be in the first place. Scripture reveals to us throughout all that this whole thing reveals. God it uses people, broken, imperfect people, as the vehicle for his redemptive purposes. God's ultimate goal is that one day, all people, all nations, all tongues, all languages, all cultures worshiping him. That's how the Bible, that's how the story ends. So I want to say, as we talk about this pillar, this anchor of what it means to be the church, we are anchored in God's mission. God, mission is central to the heart of God. John 3.16, a famous passage. I love it. You probably have this one memorized at least. For God so loved the world. It's right there. I don't know why you won't even pretend. <laughs> For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We love that passage. We're like, yes, the very next verse is so convicting. He says, For God did not send his son to the world to condemn it. Point fingers and say, You're not doing enough, people. Legislate this morality because that's the way we're going to win the world with our anger and hostility. God so loved the world, he got angry and smited. He gave his son. You see, the heart of God is at the end to save the world through him. Central to the heart of God is mission. Mission is central to the heart of the church. The church exists for the purposes of God. I want to just pause there and just say yes and amen We are the church, the people collectively here. We exist for the purposes of God. A church without mission is dead, irrelevant, ineffective, powerless. The church is designed to embody the ministry of Jesus. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to pass some of these passages. I'm just going to go through it. 2 Corinthians talks about we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Every single one of you who have said a prayer who claims to be Christian, you are Christ's ambassadors to the world. Matthew, it says you are called to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything Jesus has taught you. This is not something that you do only if you get paid by the church. This is who you are called to be if you say yes to Jesus. You are a discipler of the nations. You are given the ministry of reconciliation as an ambassador of Christ, as though Christ was making his appeal to the world through you. 
oh, we don't like Darren. Can you just give me like three points on how to have a better marriage? Not today. (laughs) You see, our mission is to continue continue the ministry of Jesus. Wherever we go, we exist for the world. But it seems like, I'm just making my own observation, we've taken this message and this commission and we've accommodated it. We've like watered it down to fit our self-focused culture. So we often ask, where does God fit into my life? But the question we should ask is, where does my life fit into the story of God's great mission? We want individual purpose tailored for our individual lives. We should see that the purpose of our life is wrapped into the great mission of God for the whole of creation. I love what Christopher Wright says in his book, Mission of God. He says, I may wonder what kind of mission God has for me when I should ask what kind of me God wants for his mission. Should I say that again? Let me just say it one more time for the front row. I may wonder what kind of mission God has for me when I should ask what kind of me God wants for his mission. Do you see what we've done? We've made this church some type of consumer-oriented, self-pleasure, self-serving, self-focused social club. And Jesus beckons us to come. He wants to give his life. But can I give you a secret if you're a seeker right now? The secret to this abundant life is not you at the center. It's Jesus. He will call you to die to yourself. He will say that if you really want the thing that you desire most, lay down your life. Then you will have true life. It doesn't make sense in our world because the world doesn't make sense to the kingdom of God. It's upside down. It says in scriptures, the first will be last and the last will be first. The greatest among those in the kingdom will be the slave to all those. It doesn't make sense because that's not how our world operates. We operate differently. But I just have to say real quick, if you're wanting to judge whether or not it's working, do you think the world's working? I mean, I don't need to provide evidence for you, to show you how it's failing. But we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to get back to the roots of our faith, to rediscover why we are here. Let me give you a quick case study. You guys still good? Got a couple more minutes? And I'll give you some practicals. It's not five steps to help you on your your marital conflict, but it is five steps on how to live on mission every day. So here we go. I want to give you a case study from a church that's over 2,000 years old. It's, it's a church in Ephesus. So 2,000 years ago, Paul, the apostle, he was a missionary church planner, goes to this place called Ephesus. Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. So you have this massive military superpower. This was the second largest city outside of Rome. It was the epicenter for a a, a cult worship called Artemis. They worshiped these false gods, and it had all sorts of implications for your life. They had a temple that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They had a festival once a year, like the Long Beach uh, Grand Prix, uh, but a little less offensive, where a million people would flood this 250,000 person city. So imagine our city's half a million. So imagine half the size of our city, half the size, and a million people coming here for a festival where they worship the god of Artemis through uh, unrestricted sex. That's basically what they did. We're talking paganism to the core. Massive empire, massive festivals, implications for being a pagan worshiper. They had rules, laws, regulations, mandates that forced them 
to force Christians to comply to their power and they had to decide early on, will we step into these decrees that make us worship Caesar as Lord when we only worship Jesus as Lord? If we don't do what they say, we might have to opt out of the economic commerce of trade and lose our business. You're like, whoa, no, are you kidding me? You mean following Jesus touches my finances? my social reputation in society. I'm going to be marginalized for my beliefs in Jesus. Yes. Not the way you think. Not the way you want to make it. But it absolutely was the case in Ephesus. So here we have this story. Paul shows up. 12 Christians. 12 followers of Jesus in this landscape of this pagan city. He, they get filled with the Holy Spirit and get baptized. Within a year and a half, the city riots because of the church. 1.5 years, there's a riot in the church. 300 years later, no, it's like 250 years later, they estimate 90% of Ephesus with population growth was Christian. How? How did it happen with persecution, with economic force and power, with paganism and cultural philosophy that challenged the the behaviors of the church? How did it happen? Number one, the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, the church was formed by the way of Jesus. Let's go to Acts chapter 19. I'm going to give you a quick story. So the first is they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, verse um, eight of chapter 19 in the book of Acts. And here it is on the screen. It says this. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul goes in, preaches about Jesus and the kingdom, demonstrates it, and they, the Jewish community begins to challenge it, so he takes them away. So it says, so Paul left and he took the disciples with him. Check this out. They had daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So they go to what would be like a philosopher's school. They rent a hall, a, a classroom like this every week. They're there every day. Scholars believe from 12 to 2. That was the two-hour time frame that philosophers in Ephesus would be lecturing because it was the heat of the day. So the, the workers in the field would come back into the city, trade, have a break, and they would listen to philosophers. So there Paul sets up shop with the church and he, he, he begins to preach. And it says this went on for two years, every day. So all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. Listen to what it said. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he touched were taken to the sick and their illnesses were were cured and evil spirits left them. That's crazy talk. It still happens today. So why? Why was there such an effective ministry in Ephesus? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They lived, they were formed by the way of Jesus. This wasn't like, I'm gonna believe in Jesus and put some money in the basket, show up two hours a week. This was a daily ritual, rhythm, calendar. It changes the work-life balance you have because this now redefines everything else. Not, oh, well, you know, 10 o'clock doesn't work for my schedule. It's no, no, no. I'm gonna make everything else work around that 10 o'clock. 
It's so different than our mindset, than our culture. Oh, they don't have a great AC system or a great PA, and the coffee is only 1010 roasters. I prefer like Blue Star, or whatever. I don't know. I prefer heart coffee from Portland being shipped down here. <laughs> True story, 1010 is my absolute favorite. I'm a subscriber. You should subscribe. Amen to that. You're welcome, 1010. Just give me a free bag. Just kidding. Don't, don't give me a free bag. I'll pay for it. <clears throat> I don't need that. Now, and that's how it goes sideways real fast. <laughs> None of that. They had a courageous missional presence. The church had a courageous missional presence. They had a courageous mission. What do I mean by mission? Well, they were simply doing the things that Jesus did. So not only did they bear witness to them through the preaching of the word, through discipleship, but they healed the sick, cast out demons. They go on to um, announce to the world, we will not participate in this idolatry anymore. We will live differently. We will sell these um, these trinkets and these things, these scrolls and these, these potions that, that give uh, way to this cultural way of life, and we will put them on a bonfire. This happens 2,000 years ago, and we will only worship Jesus. We don't need those cultural forms of worship. We need Jesus as Lord, and we won't participate in worshiping idols like Artemis. She doesn't have any power. Jesus is where the power is, so we're going to worship him with everything, and it's so significant that within two years, the economy tilts so that the people that make idols to Artemis protest. Could you imagine if we had that type of courage to live on mission every day? How? How do we as disciples live on mission? Well, first of all, I need you to understand every single one of you is a missionary. This is not something you're called into. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary and have a mission field. Do you know what your mission field is? So let's talk about it. How, here I'm going to give you some practical things before we close. Wow, I'm going so much further than I wanted to. How do we live as a courageous missional presence? I'm going to go through these so fast so we can dunk some kids and some adults in the water of baptism. How do you live as a courageous missional presence and how do you live that out in your everyday ordinary life? Number one, um, these are five characteristics of a courageous missional presence that you can practice and learn to embody every day. Number one, it's called faithful presence. Living a courageous missional presence requires faithfulness to where you are. Where you are matters because it's where you are. And where you, wherever you go matters because that's where you are. Now, I know that sounds like Dr. Seuss, but let me tell you something. It has significant implications because there's never been you before. And there's never been you in this moment at that place. And you have divine resources being poured out on top of you. Do you know that? And faithfulness, you know, I mean, even if you read the exile literature in the Old Testament where the people of God are exiled, they're living in places they don't want to be. God calls them to faithfulness to that place to pray for the people that killed their children that God would bless them. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. We love that verse. Want to make it about my life calling, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plan, he has plans to prosper me. Do you realize the context of that is children were murdered, they were conquered, they were killed, and he says to the people that were destroyed, hey, pray for their blessing. 
as you live at, in exile for 70 plus years. Holy moly, I don't want to make that my life verse anymore. If you already did that, I apologize that you didn't have context, but now I'm giving you context. <laughs> Just email me, I'll give you context next time. So faithfulness means that we live, First Peter 2 says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify the God on the day he visits. You are called to the spaces you live, to your workplace, to your school, to your neighborhood, your dorms, your roommates, your families, your, the playgrounds you take your kids. This is your mission field. See it as the place God has sent you on purpose to bring life. Faithfulness needs, means that you show up to wherever you are without distraction and be present to the people, to the place that God has put you in. Even if it's a transition stage, even if it's a stage of life moment, even if it's you're waiting to go somewhere else, where you are matters. You are called to faithfulness, to live as a faithful presence of Jesus in that space. You know, in this moment, I'm going to just add a couple thoughts. In this moment where the church is being deconstructed by loads of people, it's like every Instagram post, every other Instagram post is like a deconstructionist anti-church meme. And Alex and I were talking about this. It seems like the, the next generation is being shaped. Their theology is being shaped by memes. We hold Instagram posts from some random influencer more weighty than the scriptures. And I remember being a deconstructionist when I planted the Garden Church. This is hilarious because 13 years ago, we moved to the city or we started serving the city, trying to reach the city in a unique way as missionaries. And I remember we served at the Padua House, a group home for men and women, or men living with HIV and AIDS. We served at the rescue mission. We did prayer walks. We met once a month, that's it, to gather on Sundays, to worship at night. Eventually we moved it to a bar. But the reason we met weekly, we went once a month. We never thought we were gonna meet weekly. The reason we decided to meet weekly is because when we started reaching the non-Christians, they said, we will join your church as soon as you become a real church. Whoa, 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 I'm deconstructing the faith. This is, what, this is what church looks like. No institutional power, no authority. We're gonna all be friends. Yeah, let's do it. It's not in the scriptures that way, by the way. But what they said is we wanna be a part of it as soon as you create rhythms that empower us to be a part of it. So we created, so as we deconstructed our faith, we came right back to doing a Sunday morning service. Isn't that weird? So just know it's gonna take on this crazy journey if your heart is open to what God's saying. And... If your heart's open to the people who need God. This is not about some burnout Christians redefining their faith to make it comfortable for their burnout faith. This is about reaching the lost. And I know people are looking for a space where they're welcomed. That's consistent. Where there's power and people who are being authentic and real. That's going to be contagious. It always has been. Number two. On this, how do you, a compassionate presence. What we see is that Paul took his disciples and they had compassion on the people around them. They met the people who were there, not the people they hoped to reach. I keep hearing complaints about the, the poverty that's increasing all over the place. You guys hear it? There's more homelessness. And anytime I hear a Christian say it, I'm like, well, go to work. I'm so glad you noticed. Roll up your sleeves. The ministry that is highlighted in front of you is not some opportunity to complain, but an opportunity to invest. An opportunity to be a part of the solution so that there's less homelessness in our city because you noticed. 
Thank you so much. Now, I hope you have compassion. That feeling inside that doesn't make you angry to say something and post something about it. Instead, it moves deeply. It's like the Greek word is your bowels are ripped inside. That you can't help but do something about it. That's what Jesus calls his disciples to be moved with compassion. The last parable in the book of Matthew, which was written to a Jewish audience, has this parable about at the end, we will be judged. We don't like that, do we? We hate hearing the fact that there's judgment coming and there will be a separation. We're like, no, let's all party. There is a separation coming. And it's very easy to spot sheep and goats. My four-year-old knows the difference. It's not going to be because you had some theologically accurate statement on social media that gave you blessing. It will be because when you didn't know that you fed someone, when you didn't know you visited a prisoner, when you didn't know someone was naked, you were actually in that moment blessing Jesus. And he says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come to what I prepared for you. I didn't know. When did I see you? When were you in this situation? When? And he says, whatever you did to the least of these. You did to me. Compassion. You want to change the world? Have compassion on the people you come into in your everyday, ordinary moments. Number three, prayerful presence. How do you have a courageous missional presence? Everywhere you go is a prayer walk. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the prayer Jesus teaches us to pray, that God's holiness would be there, that people would make him holy and recognize the oneness of who God is and that his kingdom, his way of life would be established on earth as it is in heaven. The implications are there are places where it's not reality quite yet. There are places where God's way of life is not reality. Our task is to join God in his hopes and desires for the world and see that reality come into fruition. And we do that primarily through prayer. Joining God in his divine mission of establishing his kingdom on earth, his will on earth. So everywhere you go, you become a prayerful presence. Where do you need to intercede? The playground, at my gym with your little ones, whether you're dropping your kids off at school. I, I started taking Ezra to this homeschool drop-off called Terra Arts, and I don't get to do drop-off anymore because my wife's the teacher, and so I leave the drop-off. And anyway, so I, I get to do this thing, and it's really cool. I'm interacting with all these families, and I love it. I'm such an extrovert. I love it. I'm just saying hi to everyone, but now I'm realizing I just want to pray while I'm there and see what God has in those moments of random connection, in the coffee shops, wherever you go, as a therapist, you bring that prayer life into those moments. Number four, how do we live as a courageous missional presence? We live as a generous presence. Generosity in our day and age is one of the easiest ways to witness to the world. Tip extravagantly generous. When you give a generous tip, when you go out to eat or when you get a haircut or whatever it is, like... People notice those things. That's one easy way. Live generously. Buy somebody the meal. Don't calculate the percentage as you go out to lunch with your friend. Just be generous. And there's so much more. It's just not generosity of finances. It's generosity of time. Generosity of listening. Generosity of space for people. An unhurried presence that's generous with people in your intentionality. Be generous with your affirmation. Be lavish and irresponsible with your encouragement. Are you with me? That kind of, the kind of generosity that's just flowing everywhere. Like I, I was, it's the popcorn. You know the story. You go, to the, you go to the movie theater and you get the unlimited popcorn. 
right? You let that stuff spill. You grab extra boxes for people you don't know and you fill it up because you know there's more. That's what God wants for us. It's not the bonbons where you're like cutting in half, giving it to your spouse. I've only got seven left. I counted. (laughs) Unlimited popcorn. Be like popcorn. Last one is restorative presence. We're called to be a restorative presence. The word restorative is the having the ability to restore health, strength, and well-being. When Jesus commissions his disciples in Matthew 10, he says, Go rather to the lost sheep. As you proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven has come. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. In other words, everything we have in life, we've received from Jesus. So wherever we go, let's bring about his life. We need physical healing today emotional healing, mental healing, spiritual healing, and relational healing. Wherever we go, we have capacity to bring this. The reason Ephesus was so significant is they committed to simple things. And you read about in Acts 19. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They lived the way of Jesus, and they were formed by the Word. They lived as a courageous missional presence. And next week, we'll talk about the fourth piece. They lived as a countercultural family, a countercultural community together that resisted idolatry and rejected the forms of cultural worship and followed Jesus with everything, including their finances, including their family relationships, including their schedules. And when that comes together, it's a movement. That's, that's the alternative we're trying to build. But it starts not with us corporately saying, okay, we're all about mission, let's go. No, no, no. It starts with you recognizing you are the missionary. You have a calling to be a faithful presence, to be a compassionate presence, a prayerful presence, a generous presence, a restorative presence wherever you go. I'll conclude with this. One of my favorite books is called The Rise of Christianity. A guy named Rodney Stark, a sociologist who was not a Christian before he wrote this book, looks at the sociological impact of the early Christian church, answering the question, how did it become a movement with no leadership, formal leadership, with no institutions, with no book from um, 100 AD to 200, uh, 200, 325 AD, the church grew from 25,000 to 25 million. How did it happen? And that's the book. It's answering that question from, from a sociological perspective. But he says this, listen to this. Christianity served as a revitalization movement that arose in response to the misery, chaos, fear, and brutality of life in the urban Greco-Roman world. Christianity revitalized life in the Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships, able to cope with many urgent problems. To cities that were filled with homelessness and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis of social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. For what they brought was not simply an urban movement, but a new culture capable of making life in Greco-Roman cities more tolerable. This is my hope for our church, that when they write the story of the garden, they say, we made life in Long Beach more tolerable. They responded to the crisis of the chaos, the fear, the, the problems that the city faced, and they revitalized the city. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.